Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Meditating on this week and what, what I wanted to share and where I felt like God was leading us. And one thing that I realized is that my, my New Year's resolution is a, is a promise to my future self that things are going to be different. It's me looking at December 2023, Pete, saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to ensure your life is better than it is today. As I go through the new year, I like to ask people what their goals are, their resolutions, their, their, their accomplishments that they're going to be going through. And in typical American fashion, it's lose weight, it's get out of debt, it's um, you know, doing better in school for our students. I'm so happy that you guys did what you guys did today. Y'all are a blessing. We love our students. Um, Shauna, thank you, and Daryl for leading our students the way that you guys have been doing it and getting them involved. Um, I love that our church isn't an adult church and a teenage church. It's one church, and I love, I love the fact that you guys are heavily involved. This is great. Um, some people want to pay off debt. Some people want to um, connect with friends, they want to read more, occasionally somebody wants to change their attitude about people, um, and these are all goals, and these goals can be accomplished, these goals can be, can, can, can be seen, um, but there's been two people so far that have really caught my attention with their resolutions. The first person said that they are, <laughs> are plain and simple, they want to start over. They want to start over. Uh, the other person says they want this next year to matter. I, I've pondered those two statements now for a while, and it, it led me down a road. Because I, I think in times past, we would seize the day. We would carpe diem. We would do the things that we would need to do to make sure that the year was great. Our worlds got turned upside down about three years ago, and it seems like the days are seizing us. And with their statement, I want a year that matters, uh, I, I, it hit me hard because I've asked myself, did 2022 really matter? It, it took me down a road, a lot of reflection and a lot of personal depth, and I'm not going to lie, it, it went down a couple of dark roads. Um, but it... It has got me to this place, this deep, dark, nagging question of, did last year matter? And if it didn't, is this year going to matter if I don't make any changes? I know I have intrinsic value. Um, I know that my life matters. I know that your life matters. But there's a difference between understanding that we are here and we are important and God loves us and asking ourselves is, did I accomplish anything that matters? Uh, in other words, I, I spent 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 50 525,600 minutes and over 31 million seconds. What did I do? What did I do? And a life that matters is one that we all should be striving for. 
In the Bible, we see that there's many men and women of God that mattered in life, and they're great. And there's 66 books written, and there are amazing stories all the way through. But I also ask myself, how many billions of people have lived on this earth that weren't included in anything that mattered? How many people walked this walk, and they let every single day attack them? They let every single moment rule their life. They made every single high and low. They let every emotional decision, they let every time somebody bothered them or offended them, they let every time that the world did something against them derail them from mattering. And, and, I, and I've lived this now past few weeks, just really studying this thing through and walking it through, asking myself, at what point in last year, maybe the year before, the year before that, whatever words you want to use, did I allow, and I'm going to use that word very, very loosely, allow something to derail me from mattering in that moment? Because here's the kicker that we have to start with. The devil can't stop you. If he could stop you, you'd be under the ground. He can't stop you. How about this? He can't hurt you. He can't even hold you back. All he can do is to nag at you enough that you get distracted and disjointed and you stop moving forward. About a week ago, I started waking up with a crick in my neck and it hurt really, really. I was just, it's the worst. I don't know if, you, it's, I don't know if it's just me getting old. Uh, but you start going, I need a different pillow. When you're at the age where you start questioning your pillow purchases, your young days are gone, um, and, and, I'm, and I'm waking, and, and you know what's crazy about having a crick in your neck is that somebody will say something, and you go like this to, to try to figure out. Everything hurts. Everything goes swollen. It's not comfortable at all. You're just like, my kids say, Dad, and, and I'm contemplating, is it quicker for me to turn my whole body left or to turn my whole body right to adjust them, uh, to address them? And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, my neck hurts. He, Malachi, just, just do this. And I'm like, I wish I could, but I can't. What happened was that something caused a, a disconnection, a dislocation, a, a swelling, and it limited my movements. And this is what takes place in our lives, is that we have moments that are shocking, that are aggravating, that are irritating, and you've got two choices. You can either move through it and trust God through the process, or you can just lay in bed and let that day just go away. And I feel like that's what's happened for many of us. We have gotten ourselves into a habit of just going, waking up, it, something happens, it doesn't go our way, we'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, we wake up, something happens, I'll start tomorrow. And after a while, we realize an entire year of things have raised up against us, and we'll start tomorrow. And there's been a year gone and a year wasted. Because here's the thing, is a life that matters is a life that when you move on from a job or a neighborhood, there should be people that are somber, not celebrating. When you're not at church and your, your presence isn't at church, people should go, where is Elaine? Not, whatever happened to that, what was her name? The person, you know, they sit in that area. I haven't seen him in a while. See, a life that matters is a person that makes a difference in everyone's lives that they come into contact with. And I believe inside of each and every one of us, we have a desire to, to live a life that is important and matters. 
And I think for all of us, when we get the older we get, we begin to ask these questions. Not, have I done a lot of things? Have I stored up a lot of things? Do I have a nice car? Do I have a nice house? But at the end of it all, when the dirt is pushed over, and I hate to tell you this, but we're all going to die, is that it? Is when everybody pulls away from the funeral home, the last they talk about me, and I'm over. Do I leave a lasting presence while I'm still on earth after I walk out of a building? And this is where we should be. A life that matters is a life that brings light into a dark place. It brings peace where there was stress and there was tension. And it brings love where fear has been reigning in a season. And a life that matters is one that makes a difference wherever they go. And a difference maker isn't the person who always has the right thing to say at the right time. A difference maker isn't the person who can always provide unlimited resources. But one thing I've realized is that there are people in my life that just their presence without their words brings peace. Why? Because they're a person that carries peace with them. You ever walked into a room and you realized something wasn't right? You walked in, you're like, oh, that was tension. And all, of, I don't know, if maybe me, you're like, I get they're talking about me. Guarantee it. Yep, Candace. Yeah, like, they could be talking about the craziest thing that just took place in their life, and their, their dog died or whatever it is, and I walk in, I'm like, what did I do this time? Like, I, I, it's, it's something inside of me. Instead of me walking in and going, hey, Pete brought peace, and Pete brought love to a situation, a lot of times we walk into situations, we feel the tension, and we bail. We, we get ourselves busy with doing things instead of busy making a difference in people's lives. For many of us, we would love a life that matters, but we've had so many losses in life, we wonder, is it too late? Paul had this same situation. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brother, Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do is I forget what lies behind, and strain forward what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul wrote this knowing his past. His past was not a pretty past. It wasn't a beautiful thing. See, Paul was at one time a religious leader who found himself murdering and being a part of a group of people that would murder Christians on behalf of God. It's mind-boggling to think. But that was the culture he got himself so wrapped up in. And now we see Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, standing in front of Christians saying, I'm letting go of my disqualifications. See, Paul's disqualifications weren't like yours. It wasn't that Paul cussed. It wasn't that Paul drank too much. It wasn't that Paul had a crazy time in the 90s. It wasn't, it wasn't because Paul had a baby out of wedlock. It wasn't Paul because he got divorced. It wasn't Paul because he had all these other things. Paul killed people. That's a big deal. And Paul is staying here going, if I, being Paul, know exactly what I have done, and I, being Paul, can lay aside the weights of yesterday and push So can you. 2023 is an opportunity to let go of the previous season of life. And what's crazy, a season isn't December 31st of 2022. A season could have been something that took place in July 15th, 1982. 
that you found yourself perpetually living in because you made mistakes, because you made bad choices, because you did whatever it is, or bad things happened to you and you found yourself stuck in a season. And I believe that God is saying in this year, your life is going to matter because you're going to let go of the past and you're going to embrace the future. Because he's got big things. You're going to lay hold of the prize that was set before you this year. And we're going to see this thing moving forward in the right direction. Paul had a past that could disqualify anybody, but Paul didn't let it disqualify him. Because here's the thing, the devil can't disqualify you. Your inaction disqualifies you. My excuses of why I can't disqualify me. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, not the disqualifier of the brethren. What he can do is bring an accusation against you and you quit. But I believe with all my heart that there's a group of people that go next year, this year right now we're walking into today, a new year, I'm going to let go of the things that have held me back and I'm going to press towards the mark. Because I believe that there's change in the air. Change isn't always a bad thing. You're going to hear preachers over the next few years talk about the great falling away of the church. And it may be that season in life. But you know what? Just because everybody else falls away doesn't mean I have to fall away. Just because everybody else decides that the church and God and, and, and worship is no longer important doesn't mean it has to be for me and my family. There may be a lot of change, and the people that were walking with you last year may no longer be walking with you this year. But it doesn't mean that I have to change when they change. But there's four ways that people change and four different seasons and why we change. And the first seasons and why we change is when we hurt enough that we have to. We change when we hurt enough that we have to. I had a crick in my neck. I hurt enough that I went, I need to do something about this. I stood on a scale and couldn't see my feet. I hurt enough that I have to change. Everybody has turned themselves against you because of your addictions and because of the problems and because of you're always negative. I hurt enough that I'm going to change in my life. The second season that people change in their life is when they've seen enough and now they're inspired to change. There's a cool story that, that people wanted to be a Nazarene. Somebody who was going to be, somebody that had long hair, they didn't drink wine, they stayed pure before God, and what was crazy is they didn't have to be born in Nazareth to take a Nazarene vow. All they had to do was see somebody who was a Nazarene and be inspired by their holiness to say, I'm going to follow them just like they're doing now. See, when you see somebody who's living a life that you want to live, you can be inspired to change your situation. You see the, the befores and afters and people, I used to be this way. And you go to class reunions, you're like, man, you used to be 800 pounds and now you look great. I'm going to change. I, if you can lose your 800, I can lose my eight. Whatever it may be. We can see people who were in debt and distressed and they were broke down, now prospering and go, hey, I can follow the footsteps that they're doing. We see people who were, used to be drug addicts or alcoholics or sinners and now they're preachers and they're standing up and doing things for God and go, hey, I can be qualified just like Pastor Allen was qualified. You see somebody and you're inspired to change. The third way is when you learn enough that you want to change. Information is power. Have you ever believed a lie and then realized you were walking in a lie? You learned what I'm doing isn't working out. 
See, when we begin to educate ourselves in things of God, and we read our word on a regular basis, it's not because we're trying to do some kind of a beautiful golden star, and God looks at you and goes, you read six chapters today, congratulations, no pestilence. I read the word, I study the word, because I need to change. And when I read the word and I see what God is saying isn't lining up with what I'm doing and I wonder why I'm stuck on this merry-go-round of pain, I go, there's the information that I need to get off of this painful track and align myself with the way that God does things. We change when we learn enough. There's a funny story that I I love. I love the story of a young couple and I told the story before where uh, she got, he wanted this big roast, loves a roast. Uh, yesterday, I, I went over to Ingram's and, and got a, a Boston butt. It was un. But there's nothing like, you know what I'm talking about. And so he tells his young bride, I want a roast. She goes, buys this, this big roast and sets it and cuts off the ends, cuts off the sides, throws it in the, in the pan. He goes, what, what are you doing? She takes all the excess meat, throws it in the trash. He's losing his mind. Why are you doing This is how you cook a roast, honey. Uh, no, it's not. You just threw a bunch of meat away. No, it's not. So she calls his mom, her mom. Mom, come over here. Mom comes over. What's the problem? She tells him exactly what she did. She goes, uh, yeah, that's how you cook a roast. You cut the ends off, you cut the sides off, you put it in the pan, and that's it. And the husband's like, there's no way this is how you cook a roast. So she goes, well, this is how my mom taught me. So she calls grandma, and grandma goes, what are you talking about? Grandma, don't you cut the ends off, you cut the sides off, and you put it in the pan. She goes, baby, I did that because I didn't have a pan big enough for the roast. See, information adapts where we are. And when you learn, you can change. And when we learn, we're no longer living a life of waste. We're living a life of purpose. The fourth way we change is this, is that we receive enough that we're able to. I remember growing up, my parents used to dream about a day where they could give away things where they could be givers instead of people giving to them my dad broke down to me a couple of weeks ago i think it was reminiscing about the time he was at walmart and the lady was struggling to pay her christmas gift or christmas uh, dinner wasn't it or food and dad just goes i got it all and watching the reaction not of just that lady but all the people that were around him at the time watching him be a blessing still to this day moves him to tears. Why? Because he has received enough. He has gotten enough where he can make a difference. Those are the four seasons of change that we find ourselves in. Daniel found himself in a season of change. And if you have your Bible, we're going to read Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. And Daniel... It starts off with a very rough story. Um, The children of Israel have done exactly what they've done numerous times. They have fallen out of God's good graces. They have decided to live a life full of sin and idol worship. And they've gotten to a place in their life where they are just no longer um, connecting with who God is and what he's doing. And Daniel is caught in the mix. Daniel is not a bad guy, but sometimes if you've recognized our economy... You didn't do anything wrong, but you're still paying the cost of $8 milk because other people make choices. This is the story of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, he circled around it with all of his armies and wouldn't let anyone in or anyone out. 
It's a lockdown. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And then he brought the articles back into the treasury house of his God. Then the king instructed instructed the master of the eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, the young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who have the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time that they might serve before the king. Now among these was the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave the name Daniel, he named Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah the, the name Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chiefs of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why he should see your faces looking worse than the younger men who are your age. Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward of the chiefs of the eunuchs that he had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the other young men who ate the portions of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine that they they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understandings in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said to them that they should be before Nebuchadnezzar, the king interviewed them and said, Among all, the, among all of them was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding, about which the king examined them. And he found them ten times better than the the magicians and the astrologers who were in all of his realms. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And his spirit was so troubled that that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the commands to all the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know what the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell us your dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered again, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. 
If you do not make known to me the dream, there is only one decree for you. For you, you have agreed to speak lies and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that, that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the, king, the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is, no, there is no other who can tell the king except God's, who is dwelling not with flesh. For this reason, the king was very angry, very fr- furious, and gave the command to destroy the, all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he said to him, What is this decree for the king so urgent that, the, that Arach made the decision known to Daniel? So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to his companions that they might seek the mercies of God from the heavens concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered, Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes the kings and raises up the kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, and he reveals deep secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light that dwells within him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers that you have given me wisdom and might, and now you have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demands. Daniel found himself in a rough spot. The rough spot is this. Either you tell me what I dream and it what it means, or I kill you. I've had the privilege of talking to people about their dreams. Pastor Pete, what do you think this means? and I'll walk through what I believe that God's revealing. But never in my life have I walked up to somebody and go, you had a dream last night, and let me tell you about your dream. That's a lot of pressure. What's taking place here is that they're walking through systematically killing everybody that's in Daniel's tribe. Everybody that claims to have wisdom, knowledge, understanding, everyone who claims to be a magician, an astrologer, They are systematically executing them there. And Daniel's going, hold up. Give me a minute. I didn't even know this was going on. Let me pray about it, and I'll come back to you. Here's what's taking place. There's a change of hierarchy and structure in the king of Babylon's inner circle. He's beginning to purge everyone out to find who is worthy to be there. All these freeloaders have had to go. You can sit there and lie and tell me all these things, and if you lie to me, I'm going to cut you into pieces and burn your house to the ground. That's a crazy statement. Here's the thing about change. In your life, change has to be purposeful. For your change to stick, change has to be purposeful. Making a change for a life that matters isn't done by accident, but made by purposeful decisions in your life. In Daniel chapter 1, it says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not dot, dot, dot. 
Daniel knew change was coming because he was once an Israelite living in Jerusalem, having dreams of grandeur because he was of a noble family or a royal family, and now he's finding himself captive into a foreign land. And Daniel felt like there was so much change going on, I refuse to allow the outward decisions of other people to change who I am. So Daniel made a decision. Even though there's change, I'm not changing the way you want me to change. Daniel made a decision not to defile himself. Making the change that we need to is not about just what we need to do. It's equally what we need not to do. A purposeful change isn't just, I'm going to do this. It's also, I'm not going to do that. In Job 31, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes. In other words, I'm going to make a decision today of what not to do, and I'm going to make a decision today of what I will do. The hardest part of many of us isn't in the doing, it's in the saying no. Say it with me. No. That was hard. Y'all struggled. Some of y'all are like, I don't know if I can say that. Come on. Parents, you can say this whenever you want. No. Well, why? Here's the answer. No. I don't have to give you an answer why. I know this isn't popular. Moms, dads, grandparents, you can say no. You can say no to things that you don't want to do. You can say no to things that are going to hurt your kids. Not everything that they ask for is your job to fix. How about this? You can say no to spending money when you don't want to spend money. You can say no to eating things that you shouldn't be eating. You can say no to drinking things you shouldn't be drinking. You can say no to having an attitude. You can say no to being lazy. Saying no is one of the most powerful words in the English language. In fact, my dad says it's the second most powerful word. The only one before that is Jesus. A man or a woman who has the ability to say no to things that are not going to go in the right direction is a powerful person. Years ago, I was at the Atlanta airport, and uh, I had a a layover, and and I love going to the Atlanta airport. There's so much. If I'm going to have a layover, it's a great spot to layover. It's it's a beautiful airport. And um, I saw a sign for chicken and waffles. Now, I have a 90-minute layover, and I'm like, I love fried chicken, and I love waffles. Put those things together. You got me. So I'm looking at the map. I'm like, it's two terminals down. I'll get it. So I hop on the tram. I go find the restaurant. She's like, just a minute. I'll get you in. I'm like, great, no problem. I got 90 minutes. Takes about 10 minutes. Get in. Great. I sit down. I order. I already know what I want. No questions asked. Takes 10, 15 minutes to get my food. 10, 15 minutes to get my bill. I'm like, okay, we're cutting it close. I look at the clock. I pay my bill. I've got 20 minutes to get from Concourse C back to Concourse A. Two options in Atlanta. You run or you talk to the tram. I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the tram. Hop in, boom, boom, boom. I get to my gate with five minutes to spare. But there's no one at my gate. Because somewhere in those 90 minutes, they changed my gate. I got off the plane, and it was A2. I get out of chicken and waffles, and I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. 
By the time I get somebody and realize where my plane is, I run all the way down the A concourse to find my gate, and by that time, they have shut the plane. I've got to wait three more hours to get to the next flight. And I find myself asking this question, was it worth it? And what I can only assume was food poisoning, 30 minutes later, I know it wasn't worth it. Because here's the thing. My flesh wanted something, and instead of saying no, not only was I purging whatever just took place, but I also was delayed in getting to my destination. A person that has the ability to say no gets to where they're supposed to be at the right time with no delay. Saying yes to everything that comes along your way is going to lead you astray, and you're going to find yourself continually frustrated and not going in the places you want to go. Life, though, isn't as quick as my chicken and waffle story. We don't see consequences that fast. It's not like you go to McDonald's and get a quarter pounder and gain two inches on your waist that day. It's slow, methodical, one day at a time, one step at a time, loss. And then we look back at a year and go, what happened? A purposeful life of change has an action plan. A life of pain, plan, a change on purpose is a life that has an action plan. You're going to write it down, you're going to put it on your calendar, and you're going to find yourself being accountable to somebody. Those three things. A life of change is a life that writes down the, what they're going to change, they write down when they're going to make these steps in the right direction, and they find somebody that's going to help them stay accountable. Because the second thing is that your change has to be vision-centered. If your change isn't vision-centered, it's not going to last. Daniel said to the steward, the chief of the eunuchs, that was assigned to him, test your servant for 10 days. And if our appearance isn't X, Y, and Z, then we'll stop. He had a vision of what he was supposed to look like in 10 days. He had the gift of foresight, and he had a vision of what would happen if he just did the small things. All he asked for was water and vegetables. Those are small things to go for. And I was at the gym a few months ago. Obviously, it was a few months ago. And this guy is just lifting a ridiculous amount of weight. Dave, you weren't there. Never mind. Uh, he was lifting a ridiculous amounts of weight. And this other guy walks up, who was obviously a newer guy in the gym, walks up to this behemoth of a man. Have you ever seen that man? Like, he, just, he, has, he can't fit in his own arms. Like, he's just huge. And he walks up to this guy, goes, so what kind of steroids do you take? And I was like, and racking my weights, I'm here to see. It got uncomfortable so fast. I'm like, how dare you walk to somebody else and just, just it's obvious he's on steroids. But, uh, so you, can't, you don't just say that. So the man puts his weights down, towers over this other guy, and goes, <laughs> I'm not this big because of steroids. To which I'm like, meh. His answer was, I'm this big because for years I started where you are and built my body to where it is today. So the next question was, well, what do I need to do? I love this because I thought this man was being offensive, and I'm looking around to see if we're getting on like a reality TV show and waiting for this monster man just to, to this guy across the gym. 
That's not what happened. They had a conversation because what he saw was, how do I get to where you are? What's the shortcut? The man goes, you don't take a shortcut to where I'm at. You get this vision, and you begin systematically building something to it. Everything that you do has to be vision-centered, or it's going to fall apart. Paul, I love it, he looks at the, the church of Corinth and tells people, if it's so hard to follow Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Get to a place where you look at where I'm at, and you look at what I've done, and you look at my issues, and you look at my faults, and you look at my failures, and you look at all the things that I've messed up on and go, if Paul's still standing, I can still stand. Follow me. as I, What would happen if a church would just go to people and say, just follow me as I follow Christ? If you, I'm not trying to tell you how to get to Christ. I will just take you to him. Because my life is walking so close to where he is, if you just get close to me, you'll find him. I love this quote. This is from a, philo- uh, a, a Christian philosopher in the, ni- in the 1700s. He makes this statement. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. A life that will matter is one that has a vision that's before the rise of where they're going. A change in your life without vision? Come on, new life will only last as long as the feelings are there for change. But the moment that there are struggles, and the moment there is trials, and the moment the winters come, and the heat of, the, of, of not saying no comes, if you don't have a vision, the change and desire will fleet really quick, and you'll cave in time and time again. How about this? Number three, change is messy. Change is a very messy process. In Daniel chapter 2, Everyone's dying. That's kind of a mess. Everything is going on. Nebuchadnezzar was systematically bringing change into his government. And he's doing it very, very messy. He's killing everybody that's undesirable from here on. And God's getting ready to shift the leadership. And part of that turned into a mess. I love the idea that God's just going to promote me without having a mess. And that's just not the case. Because every time there's a big positive change in your life, I promise you there will be some form of a mess. I'm so happy that Millbrook's finally getting a Publix. <laughs> but have you been to Walmart and looked up at that hill? It's a mess. It's not appealing at all. In fact, it's a mudslide right now, I think, after the rain we just had. It's just, ugh. In a year... It'll look beautiful. There'll be trees that were planted that weren't native there. There'll be beautiful manicured grass. A bunch of people walking through grocery shopping. But right now it's a mess. Life is messy. Getting to where God has called you to be is messy. Because change is messy. I've yet to be on a construction site that there was no mess. There's never a beautiful forest and a beautiful building in the same day. There's always a mess. Every time Mike's got to go and run lines, it's going to cause a mess. Every time you go and do something in life, there's going to be a mess. It's messy in my life because it doesn't look like I want it to as fast as I want it to. Have you ever tried to learn a skill? 
like just hop on and play the piano today? It's going to be messy. Have you ever tried to do a sport that you aren't familiar with? It's awkward and uncomfortable. It's messy because what everyone else used to see is no longer there either. And they start talking. Oh, here goes Mike again. Another spiritual kick. Here comes Savannah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Because the person you used to be is no longer there, and they create a mess around you because they talk about who you used to be. How about this one? It's messy because you're going to make mistakes. I promise you, when you make a big change in your life, it's not always going to go to plan. You get on a strict diet, you're going to have days where you go, why am I eating a donut? Oh, my goodness. Have you, ever had, have you ever gone on a big diet and you were just famished? And you, halfway through eating a cheeseburger, realized, I'm eating a cheeseburger. I'm not supposed to be doing this. It's just, your mind goes blank. No? Oof, man, jeez. He just eats it, yeah. Dad confesses it turns into vegetables on the way down and, and stays on his diet. I, oof, man. Proverbs 14 tells us this, that a righteous man falls seven times and gets up eight. It's going to be messy. And I promise you that there's not going to be a decision to change that isn't going to be without slips and falls. Prepare yourself for that. This year, as you make these big changes, big or small, maybe your changes, I'm going to read the word every single day. And you miss a day, two days a week. Don't throw in the towel. Shake yourself awake, get back on the wagon, and go for it. You go on a vacation, you're falling off on your diet. Get back on and keep moving forward. Whatever it may be, it's going to be messy. You know what's crazy about messy changes? There's growing pains. It's not a habit yet. I think it takes 42 days for something to be a habit. And we're expecting on day one, I'm going to determine myself that I'm going to pray for an hour. And five minutes into it, you've prayed every word you know how to pray. How about this? When you're making these big changes, these messy plans, you build into it. Because the fourth thing, and the last thing here, is that the big changes are always seen in very, very small steps. I love this quote. Dreams without purposeful steps will just lead to disappointment. And on the road to seeing your dreams, you have to have discipline. But more importantly than discipline, consistency. Because without purpose, you'll never start. And without consistency, you'll never finish. Let's go back to that quote that I, we read earlier. Life can only be un understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I rolled that around over and over and over again in my head. And, and this is what I envisioned when he made that statement. I just I prayed about it. It just stuck with me. And I pictured myself standing at, a, at the edge of a peninsula, and out here was just a vastness of nothingness. Off in the distance, I could see individual islands just floating. And I saw me on each island. I could see Pete on every single island over there. And what I could see over here, I could, I could see Pete that was in his 40s, that was still doing the exact same thing he's doing now, living frustrated. I could, I could see Pete over here, just successful and, and happy, but 
things weren't exactly right. I could see Pete over here just worshiping his heart. I could, I could see Pete over here that was, that, uh, that was just living a crazy life. I, I could see myself in every single island with every single version of what my life could be like. And I saw myself standing on the edge of this going, now what? And this is what that, that phrase meant to me is that before you, there are unlimited versions of yourself that are disconnected from every other version of yourself. Some of the islands may be closer together than others, but they're all independent. And every single day, you make a choice. Every single day, God gives you a brick. You have one brick today. And I can lay a brick over here. I can lay a brick over here. I can lay a brick over here. Every day I'm laying a brick towards one of my islands. And what happens a lot of times in our lives is that we start getting excited about the things of God and we start building our bricks. We start building a bridge. I'm building my bridge to the island over here. And then I get upset. I get offended. E.G. doesn't play the song that I wanted to play. Uh, whatever it may be. And I pull myself back and I'm like, you know what, I'll take today's brick. And I'll put it over here, and I'll start building a brick over here. And then all of a sudden, uh, I, I see a new advertisement for the new iPhone, and I, okay, this brick's going to start going over here. And then, oh, no, 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 somebody else hurt my feelings. I'll start building a brick. And what's happening is that we have all of these unfinished bridges to all of these islands of potential. And every single day that we live our lives, and when I'm talking about change, it's simply put, today I'm putting a brick here. That's it. One brick. Every day is just one brick towards the person that God's called you to be. Or the person you want to be. Or the person you don't want to be. Or the person that they want you to be. Or the person that the devil wants you to be. Every day is one brick. Just one choice. It's all in the small steps. Because as you're building a, brick, a bridge to your island of choice, it's not done overnight. It's one brick. If your goal is to lose 25 pounds, you don't lose them all this week. It's one day. It's one week. It's one pound. If you're trying to be, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at 2023 and you're going to be a prayer warrior, can I tell you? It's five minutes. It's five minutes. Seven minutes. Six minutes. One minute. Ten minutes. Two hours of repenting. It's one, it's, it's one small step. It's one small brick. This year is not a, let's overhaul January. You're asking yourself this one question. If every day was one brick, and I've got 365 bricks, what island am I building my bricks to? Where am I focusing my path? Do I look schizophrenic and I've got 45 halfway built bridges? It, am I purposely saying no to bridge A to say yes to bridge C? 
I'm saying no to doing that today because I want to say yes to this. I'm saying no to that relationship because I'm saying yes to this vision. I'm saying no to this debt because I'm saying yes to this freedom. I'm saying no to this choice to say yes to this giving. I'm saying no to this because I want to have a spiritual life. I'm saying no to going to that party because I want to say yes to having the things of God. I want to say no to this because I'm tired of my prayer time being nothing but repentance. Like I'm building a bridge that's going to bear where I want it to go to. This is your year before you. Every day is one brick. Next week, Pastor Allen's going to be talking about some of this. He's going to talk about how to lay some bricks in the direction that God has called for you. We're going to be walking through this, and starting next, next Sunday, we're going to be fasting. We're calling for a fast. And this fast can look any way you need it to look like. I'm not going to tell you how to fast. Some people are not eating any kind of food. They're just drinking water. Some people, their health can't do it. Their medicine won't allow it. But they're willing to cut out social media, cut out television. Uh, some people are doing a, a Daniel's fast. There's a, a lot of different variations. And what we're telling you to do is take a time out of January and refocus on where I'm putting my bricks. Like for me, when I'm fasting some food, instead of going to McDonald's and eating, I'm going to spend that a little bit of time in prayer. I already prayed this morning. I may not have a lot to pray about, but I'm just, God, I'm giving you this moment. Speak to me. You know what happens? He doesn't always speak. Not, not always on day one. It's not always on day two. It's not always on day ten. Because a lot of times for me, I'm calming my mind down to be able to hear his voice with clarity and confidence. And a great part of fasting that we're calling out for this next, from next Sunday through the 28th is this, is we're going to clear up our minds to be able to hear him with clarity and confidence. The world's screaming. We need to silence the noise. And every day, we're just going to put one brick, just one brick. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking anybody to make any huge changes in their lives today. I'm not asking you just to, to, to go through Facebook and defriend everybody. I'm not asking you to, 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 to call your boss and say, you quit. It's too toxic. I'm asking for one brick today. Tomorrow, it's just one brick. All right? God, we just thank you for this day. We give you all the praise and all the glory. You give us wisdom. You gave Daniel wisdom in his season of life for his change. This year, as we get ready to walk into 2023, God, with confidence and clarity, God, you're going to be giving us wisdom and how to do the bricks that we need to be laying, the ways we need to say no, the places we need to say yes. We just give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for speaking your word of truth to us every single day. Let us not get weary in well-doing. Let us not get confused in how we're going to do all of this. Just one brick today, God. Tomorrow, as everyone wakes up, speak to them their one brick, reading their word, five minutes in prayer, worshiping at home, whatever it may be, one brick, ministering to somebody the gospel, inviting somebody to church, showing up to church, whatever it may be, one single brick. We thank you, God, that you can give us the strength. You have given us the strength. You've given us the wisdom and understanding for our one brick. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 